I am so excited. I could not be more stoked about these next couple months for us as a church. These next two months, November and December, might be two of the most exciting months in the history of our congregation. And it's because of you and it's because of what God is doing through you. There are so many things to be excited about today. You may think, oh, John, it's all about the building and it's all about the move. And don't get me wrong. Yes, I am so excited about that. I could not be more excited about that. But there is a few things that get me a little bit more jazzed up than even moving into a new building that you helped create. Marriages are getting put back together. Addictions are being overcome. People are finding community here for the very first time, finding real relationships. People are discovering a place where they can authentically be themselves. Children are being welcomed in to the family of God for the very first time. God is changing lives and he's changing the lives of people around you. People are starting to invite others in and continue to, to pull people in from different walks of their lives. People are moving from being innocent spectators on the sidelines of this whole church thing to stepping up and moving into leadership. Those things, those things get me way more excited than even moving into a building. And as exciting as that is, we get a front row seat every week to watching God change lives. Because at the end of the day, buildings don't change lives. Jesus changes lives. Jesus through you. So if we're going to boast in anything, and if we're going to get all excited, and if we're going to use anything as a marketing tool to draw people here, it's Jesus, folks, because he's all we've got. He's all we've ever had. He's who we've got, and he's all who we will ever have. And so as you invite people, and as we boast in what's going on here at Hope Des Moines, let us only boast in Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's what we're about. That's where we're going, is the Jesus that's behind all of this. God is on the move. And you're going to hear us say that phrase a lot over the next uh, few months here. God is on the move, and we're on the move. Everybody say, God's on the move. Everybody say, we're on the move. We're on the move. And now we're going to say that a lot, and some of you are thinking, well, what, what is that all about? We're going through entering into this new sermon series, as you can see around us, called On the Move. And over the next few weeks, really leading all the way up to Christmas, we're going to be in this series where we're going to talk about God's people, different stories throughout Scripture, a lot of them in the Old Testament, of God's people on the move. And like I said, that's going to lead us right up to Christmas, which conveniently, Christmas is all about God on the move, right? Through his son, Jesus. That's where we're going, and we would love to have you come along for the ride. But what do we mean when we say that? You hear us say that all the time. God's on the move. What does that mean? It means that we have a God, and, and I understand that we've got people all over the board here today, and we do every single Sunday. Some of you are like, I don't want anything to do with it. This whole faith, Jesus thing, some of you are all in, and some of you are somewhere in between. Maybe you're on the fence. When we look at Scripture, when we look at this story, we see a God who's not sitting idly by watching a broken and hurting world and saying, well, they did it to themselves. Too bad. <laughs> Since the beginning of creation, we see a God who has been intimately involved with his creation from beginning to end. And he's out ahead of us. When we say God's on the move, God's out ahead of us and he's preparing hearts and he's creating opportunities and he's lining up interactions with our friends and our coworkers and people that we meet to share with them the good news. Andy talked about this last week and I want to read this key verse from our passage last week in Luke 10. Let's read this together nice and loud up on the screen. 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what Jesus is saying is that the issue is supply, not demand, (laughs) when it comes to people who are ready to take action for the gospel. The issue is not a lack of opportunities. The issue that we're faced with is a lack of workers in the field. So let me just say this. If you ever feel stuck as a follower of Jesus, maybe individually or maybe you're in a life group or you're in some sort of group and you're like, you know, we kind of feel like God's calling us to serve and reach out, but we're not really sure. We're, we're a little confused because we kind of look around and it's really hard to know where to connect and where some of the needs are. Please, folks, please come talk to us. There are so many needs in the city and the neighborhoods around us. Folks, there are people that line up for breakfast, that line up for food, so that the only meal they're going to eat all day blocks from here. And they stand out in the cold every single morning. There are kids that walk the streets in these neighborhoods that do not have parents in the homes. Somebody told me the other week and reminded me that 60% of the kids in this school don't have a father in the home. And it hits pretty close to home. There's people that are here in our community that are fighting off addictions that are going through marriage trouble, that are, that are struggling. There's people here today that are sitting next to you that are desperately looking for community. Who's going to step up and say, I'm going to lead a life group? Who's going to step up and say, I'm going to serve? Who's going to step up and say, that's me. I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines. I'm going to get involved. So if you're really struggling and you feel stuck and you don't really know where to plug in, please, first, come talk to us. (laughs) There are ministries waiting to be started. There are outreach opportunities waiting to be started. There are small groups waiting to be started. And we just need some people to step up and some people of courage to say, I can do that. I can do that. And that's all it takes. And that's just right around here, right here in the midst of our community. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And better yet, instead of asking us, ask God. Ask God. The question is, when God calls, will we join him in his mission? God's on the move. And the question for us is, God, what are you doing in my family? God, what are you doing in my workplace? God, what are you doing in my school? God, what are you doing in my gym? What are you doing in this city, on my block, in my neighborhood? And how can I join you in that? We don't have to make this stuff up. God's on the move. The question is, will we join him? This idea of being on the move uh, is very uh, familiar for us in our home, in the Anderson home. We have a 19-month-old wrecking ball named Caleb. And uh, he likes to run around. He is constantly on the move. He, this is a picture of him yesterday. Uh, he got into our bocce ball set, and he took out every single bocce ball and rolled it down our driveway, just like he was bowling. So that's, that's what he did. He never stops moving. Even at mealtimes, he never stops moving. The other day, we have a little uh, kind of way to walk around the dining room table and make laps, and the only thing he wanted to eat was the Cheez-It squares. That's the only thing he wanted to eat. And so he's making laps around the dining room table going, num, 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 num,
the dining room table. And he has this new thing that he likes to do because he never stops moving. He likes to get a running start from wherever he's at and then just, just he does kind of this run waddle thing. He kind of looks like a penguin uh, as, he, as he runs back and forth. But you'd think he'd like go and run into the couch or go run into a pillow or something soft like that. No, he likes to run into the wall or the fridge or the stove or the television just for fun because they're all hard for no other reason that he's a boy and that's what boys do, I guess. So he likes to get a running start from wherever he is. He does his little penguin waddle and then he goes, go, 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 go. And then he runs into whatever it is and he goes, conk, conk. Everybody just say conk. Just say conk. That's what he does. That's, that's his word that he's figured out. And so what happens is it's really hard. And he like runs into the wall and he smacks his head. He's a very small human being. And when you run into something hard like the wall or the TV, of course, as good loving parents, we're going over, we're trying to have compassion. He's laying face down on the floor. I'm like, our kid just died. He ran to the TV, right? So he's facing down. Uh, and we're like, uh, Caleb? Are you thinking he's got a concussion or something? Like, what's happened to our kid? He's laying face down on the ground. We kind of scratch his back. We're like, buddy, are you okay? To which he pops back up and goes, <laughs> he pops back up. He says, again, again. Like, this means more. Again and again. And then we go do it laughing and giggling again. If there's anything that Caleb has figured out, it's that life is way too short to sit on the sidelines. Life is way too exciting. Life is way too short to sit still. And yet at some point in our lives, as really mature, productive adults, we get the busy part. We get the on-the-move part. But sometimes it's for no purpose whatsoever. We're just busy. We're just busy. And our action has no point. The beautiful thing about God's mission is that he calls us to take action and to be on the move for things that are going to last, for things that are going to matter way more than running into walls. He calls us to get busy for him. Nothing could be more true for us as a church. We worship a God of action. We pray to a God of action. You are a part of a church, not just hope, but the church, whose very reason for existence is not coming and sitting in a chair once a week. I hate to break it to you. Our very reason for existence is to be a church of action to be a church on the move. Andy walked us through this last week. If you look through the story of the Bible, from Old Testament to New Testament, it is a story of a God on the move. From pursuing an Adam and Eve to Abraham to Joseph to the prophets in the Old Testament, all the way up to the greatest act of on the move of all time, Jesus sends himself. God sends himself in the form of Jesus to save us. And then he turns it over to us. And in John chapter 20, verse 21, we read this together up on the screen. This is what Jesus tells us. Let's read it together. Go ahead and go to that next slide. John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So I am sending you. God says, as my church, your mission, get this, is to pursue people with the same passion that I am pursuing you. The reason that we love people, the reason that we forgive people who have hurt us or betrayed us, the reason we give grace to people, even that person that cut you off on the way here on the interstate, because the only reason that we're here today is by God's sheer grace. 
There is no other reason. God is pursuing you. God is wildly in love with every single one of you this morning. And there's nothing that you could do to earn it or deserve it. That's why baptism is so powerful. It's not just about a cute little baby up here. That's you. That's me. And when that oil and that mark of the Holy Spirit and the cross goes on her forehead, that's what God says to you every single day. You are my child. You are mine. And nothing's ever going to change that. And when we realize that, how can we not want to share that with others? This isn't a duty to tell people about Jesus. It's who we are. It's what we were created to do. The family history that you and I are a part of, the family of God that began with the Israelites and now Jesus is saying, you're a part of my family, is a family history of being sent. Of being sent. And it started with our great, 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 a few more greats, grandfather named Abram. You might know him as Abraham. So we're going to dig a little bit into our family history of being sent. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, and that's where we're going to start today in our scripture reading for today. Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to highlight one of these stories from our family history. If you don't have a Bible, there are plenty on the rows, so please take them. That's our gift to you, and you're going to want to follow along in this story today. Genesis chapter 12. We start our story in the land of Haran. Everybody say Haran. Do you know where that's at? I think it's in Nebraska somewhere. Um, actually, no, there's the map. Um, so you look at it, there's kind of those three red dots, and up at the top is Haran. So this kind of modern-day Turkey, and you've got the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, down in the corner there is Egypt. So when God calls Abram in this journey that God's calling him to is to go from Haran, way up there, thousands of miles through Syria, all the way down to the land of Canaan, or that we know as the Promised Land. This is not a small, short, little trip. And just so you know, there's no Casey's or come and go on the way. This is going to be long and dangerous. So let me pick it up in verse 1, okay? God is looking for somebody to lead his people, hundreds and thousands of people that will become a part of this family through this long and strenuous journey to the promised land. If you're God and you're looking for somebody to be a leader of hundreds and thousands of people to fight off armies and enemies on all sides and to be a strong uh, leader to lead all your people, what kind of a person are you looking for? How about a 75-year-old retired farmer that lives in the middle of nowhere? Verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, you know him as Abraham, bonus, if you follow God, you get your name changed. Um, <laughs> verse 1, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you, which is Canaan, up on the map. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So back up a second. If we're honest, if you're, if you're Abraham here, okay, who along with his wife Sarah are like 75, 80 years old, okay? So picture yourself. Maybe some of you are close, some of you are not. Um, 
picture yourself at that stage in your life. Some of you are there. You've got grandkids, okay? And God comes to you and says, um, you're going to have a child, and then that child is going to lead to my, my entire family, and out of that hundreds of thousands of your descendants, one of those is going to be the savior of the world. How many would just say, oh, sign me up for that? You'd say, right, God, good joke, right? I'm a grandparent. I don't need to be a parent again, right? And God says, no. The Bible is a book of stories about ordinary people, just like us, that God says, I'm not done with you yet. Abraham's thinking, I'm ready for retirement. I'm in retirement. I play golf three times a week. He probably, you know, the local golf course there in Haran, right? He's in retirement and God says, your best days are ahead of you, Abraham. Your mission is just getting started. It's never too early and it's never too late to be used by God. That's what we learn from this story. So you're looking at this and I'm sure that Abraham had his doubts, but the biblical author tells the story in a certain way to make a point. God calls Abraham and then what do we read next in verse four? So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Could not be a more simple verse in the Bible and yet could not be more profound. What do you do when God calls you out? What do you do when God calls? How do you respond? Oh, God, wow, really busy right now. Got a lot of other priorities in my life. Um, God, can I take a rain check? Can I get back to you when things slow down a little bit? Uh, if I'm Abram, I'm thinking, you got the right guy. You, you want to use me? I'm going to be at the center of this whole story? God says, yes, I don't have a plan B. You're plan A, and I only have a plan A. That's it. I'm going to use you. When God calls, will we answer? So this isn't just the Bible story. This is our story as Lutheran Church of Hope. Because that was the same question that was in front of a small group of people from Lutheran Church of Hope in West Des Moines about six years ago who said, you know, maybe this impact that Lutheran Church of Hope is making is not just for the suburbs, maybe it's for the city as well. And they had the courage to say, I'll do it. Send me, God. When God calls, will we answer? I want to show you a really short clip from a video that we made last fall. It was a part of our giving campaign for this whole building. And the reason I want to show it to you is because for those of you that were here and a part of this, it's good to have a refresher. For those of you that weren't, this is going to be brand new to you. Uh, we've grown a lot since last fall. But I want to show you this to get us all on the same page about who we are as a church, about what we're about and what this whole transition to this building is really all about. Let's take a look. When I began at Hope Des Moines in 2008, I remember walking some of these same streets, feeling so overwhelmed by the needs around us. People who are lost, broken, hurting, lonely, and afraid. I thought, who am I to be here? What impact can we possibly have as a church community? Soon after, I remember a mentor of mine telling me, John, ask God to break your heart for the city. Shortly after, my wife and I were walking these streets and so we just came to an intersection and we decided to just stop and listen and look around us and ask ourselves, what do you think Jesus hears when he listens to the city? What does he see around him? 
It reminded me of this passage in Luke 19 when Jesus is approaching the city and as he looks over it, he says, Jesus wept over it. Not with fear or judgment or condemnation, but with love, with compassion for the people that he loves. And so the mission became clear. We couldn't wait for people just to come to us. We had to go to them. And so for the past five years, that's what we've done. We've literally hit the streets, teaching, building, loving, serving these same neighborhoods. Addictions have been cured, marriages have been restored, people have been healed, finding community for the very first time, thousands impacted through local outreach efforts, and worship expanding to multiple services. And so instead of simply coming to church, we've been the church in parks and streets and coffee shops and living rooms all over the city. And for weekend worship, this has been our home, Hubble Elementary School. And for the last five years, we've developed a great relationship with Hubble. It's provided a warm, welcoming, safe atmosphere for weekend worship. And we hope that that friendship continues for years to come. You know, in the last five years, a lot of people have asked me, John, when are we going to build a church? And the truth is, for the last five years, God has built us into a church. A church without walls. And I hope that that never changes. All right, let's get back to the sermon. That was filmed last fall, clearly. It was not filmed this weekend. Um, didn't have a building. Didn't have any funding for that building building certainly was not ready to go and remodeled. And as of a couple weeks from now, all those things will come to life and God's vision for us will become a reality thanks to what God has done through all of you. So praise God for that. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We had no idea what God is up to. He has been so faithful. And I am so glad. I am so glad that we as a church did not say, well, in order to be a real church, we have to have a building, and so, you know, we can't really do anything until then. <laughs> some of you wouldn't be here. Some of you wouldn't be here, thanks to some crazy people who thought, you know, we're going to go down there, and we're going to have a church in an elementary school gym, and you might have to set up your own chair. We might have to hang some banners. We might have to get here at 6.30 in the morning so that awesome volunteers can set all this up. Some crazy people. We weren't weird. We weren't crazy until you got here, but that's besides the point. <laughs> Thank God that some people said, God's on the move and we're going to join him. That they responded to God's call. And so as we take a few weeks here to kind of look back on where we've been and where, we've going, where we're going, instead of me just telling you and talking to you more, I thought we'd spice it up a little bit and, and get you involved. Some of you, I know, have always wondered what it would be like to be in the audience of a game show. Some of you are like, why did I come to this church today? <laughs> well, today is your lucky day. Because we are going to now play and participate. You are the live studio audience for America's fastest growing game show. Get ready to put your hands together for Know Your Hope. Here we go, everybody. All right. I'd like you to meet our contestants today. He's a former surfer bum from the state of California turned pastor. Welcome, Andy Hermanson. Here he is. Welcome, Andy Hermanson. 
Clearly, this is rehearsed. So welcome, uh, David and Andy. Here's how we're going to play America's fastest growing game show, Know Your Hope. We've got our bell ready to go here today. So here's what's going to happen. You, as a studio audience, have a part to play. From basically here over, you are Team David. Let's hear it for Team David. And you... Some of you are like, what just happened to my church? Uh, From here over, you are Team Andy. Let's hear it for Team Andy. There we go. All right. So clearly, um, this is a very well-rehearsed game show, and we know exactly what's going to happen. So what's going to happen is I'm going to read a question. We're going to have five multiple-choice questions. They're going to be up on the screen so you can play along, okay? There is one correct answer. I'm going to read the question. I'm going to give them the answers, and then Team David and Team Andy can buzz in. Well, ding in. Supper's supper's ready. Uh, And then you can answer the question. Now they're going to ask you for the correct answer, so please pay attention. Are you ready to play, everybody? Are you ready to play Know Your Hope? Here we go. All right. Okay. Question number one. Please wait till all possible answers have been read. Stop it. Question one. Why was Hope Des Moines started in the first place? A. Leaders of hope had a crazy idea after a long night of eating too much Snookies ice cream. B, there are tens and thousands of people in the city who don't know Jesus or have a church home. C, Pastor John's professional basketball career didn't pan out as expected, so he needed a new gig. Ready, go. Team David, what do you think? What do you you think? I heard a resounding B. I'm going to have to go with my gut, though. I've had a lot of Snookies, a lot of good ideas. Wow. Wow, going against the audience. I'm going against the audience. <laughs> wow. I'm going with A is incorrect. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. The score remains 0-0. Zero, zero. Ready for question two. Hope Des Moines was started, David, because there's tens and thousands of people in Des Moines that don't know Jesus and don't have a church home. That's why we exist. See, it's informational, too. All right, question number two. Here we go. Here we go. Question number two. What was the purpose of the Building Hope Together campaign last fall? A, to support Andy Hermanson's vacation fund to the Bahamas. B, to talk about money as much as possible and make everybody feel guilty and uncomfortable. It's tempting. C, to provide the opportunity for all of us to be the church by learning about giving, go deeper in our faith, and grow God's kingdom. Team Andy, what do you think? Pull the audience. What do you think? What do you think? I hear some A's. Number A. <laughs> number A. You're going to go with number A. Or letter A. Letter A is incorrect. I'm sorry, Team Andy. That is not the correct answer. The correct answer is C, to provide the opportunity for all of us to be the church. God did incredible things. And you know what we discovered, Andy? We discovered it's not really about the money. It's about growing God's kingdom. And we just get to participate in that. So, okay. Might need some new contestants. It's zero to zero, folks. We're ready for question three. Here we go. Audience, you still with us? Still good? Okay, good. Question three. What is the best way, now that it's, we're working through it, what is the best way to get involved with the Building Hope Together campaign? A, you can't. It's over. You missed your chance, bro. B, if you've made a pledge, continue to give faithfully. 
If you haven't given yet, pray and ask God, and then you can participate in our recommitment Sunday next week. Wait. C, stand up in the middle of the sermon and announce how good you are at tithing at the top of your lungs. Ready? Go. Oh. Team David, what do you think? Let's, what do you think? They're playing with you now. They're saying C. What, what are you going to go with? C? Man, what are you going to go with, dude? Well, after much thought and You need to get this one right. I'm going to go with B on this one. B is correct. Nice job, Team David. Wow. Wow. David, see, it's a three-year three campaign. We're a year into it now. Okay? And so you can continue to give. It's Recommitment Sunday next Sunday. You can keep giving. It's going to be great. So thanks. Nice job. Thanks for getting that right. It's 1-0. Team Andy, you got a lot of room to catch up here. Here we go. Question four. Question four. Why did we decide to invest in remodeling a church a permanent facility? A, everybody knows you're not a real church until you have your own building. B, we want everyone from the church to become a holy huddle and hide inside the facility each week so we don't have to talk to anybody that doesn't know Jesus. Or C, a building is an important tool for ministry, not the point of ministry. Oh. Team Andy. What do you think? Now well, they're unsure. They're unsure. I'm not sure. I think we want to be tools. <laughs> Was it the... Yes, C is right. Yes. Nice job. It's tied up. 1-1. One, one. Good job. It's a comeback. He's smelling a comeback. See, Andy, it's easy to fall in the trap that like, oh, we've got a building now, so we've arrived, and then we're not on God's mission. So we don't want to be a holy huddle, but we, we don't need to be tools. We just need to be out spreading the good news and sharing the king. The building is a tool. We're not tools. Okay, folks, it comes down to this. Are you ready? This is for all the marbles. It's question five. It's 1-1. One, one. Here we go. Question five. Be on your best behavior. What is the best way to invite somebody to our new location? A, think about who you already know, be yourself, and ask them to come and see what God is doing at Hope Des Moines. B, break into your neighbor's house and cover every wall of their house with on-the-move postcards. Or C, go door-to-door -door telling people if they don't come to our church, we'll cancel Christmas. Ready? Go. <laughs> Team David, this is it. This is, this is for all the marbles. Audience, what do you think? Team, everything. this is for everything. Wait, what do we win? You win a trip to Ingersoll Avenue. That's what you win, all right? There you go. All right. GNL clothing. What do you think? Wow. A lot of C. Some Bs. What do you think? All right. Well. Wow. What are you going to go with? You better get this one right. Phone a friend. Phone the audience here. Okay. I'm going to go with A on this one. He's going with A. That is correct. Team David wins. Nice job. Wow, that was huge. Shake hands, folks. That was Know Your Hope. Give them a round of applause. Give them a round of applause. Here we go. Wow. I just, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, keep it going. There we go. Right. I just wanted to tell all my seminary friends we played Family Feud in the middle of a sermon. That was fun. Good. Do you feel like you know your hope a little bit more now? Good. God called Abraham, God called us six years ago, and now God is calling us again. The question is, will we respond? When the rubber meets the road and you start looking, how does this apply to my life? We talked about what it means for us as a church to be on the move, but what does it look like for you to be on the move? Think back to the story of Abraham. You're sitting here this morning, and I'm sure there's thousands of excuses running through your head. 
Abraham's thinking, I'm 75. My best years are behind me. This is not the right season of life. Don't we make the same excuse? (laughs) I'm busy with the kids and all their activities. I'm busy with my own retirement. I'm busy with my job. I'm busy with school. I I got all these things. God, it's not a good season. Abraham could have said, no, see, really, it's my priorities. It's my schedule. I've got this rhythm of life that I'm used to. And so, God, I don't want you to come mess that up. And the same is true for us. Here's what I've come to find is that a lot of people are really good with Jesus until he starts messing with them. We're big fans of Jesus until he starts messing with the things that are nearest and dearest to us. Your schedule, your finances, your dating life, your marriage, your future, your priorities, your hobbies. Jesus has something to say about all those. And he's calling us to reorient our lives. So we look at these lists of excuses and we think, man, we're not that different from Abraham. And sure, he wasn't perfect, and I'm sure that he had his doubts, but God says to you this morning, I don't want the Sunday you. I want all of you. I don't want you on Christmas and Easter. I want you every day. Why? Because the very reason that you have breath in your lungs today is because I created you. And when you could not save yourself, I rescued you. I've been pursuing you. And so we kind of are forced to look at our lives and say, okay, how would we respond? We get a little nostalgic sometimes in our lives, I know, and we start looking back on our lives. And I don't know if you know this, but in Romans Paul's reflecting back on Abraham's life and because Abraham responded to God in obedience, this is what's said about Abraham. Romans 4, verse 18. It says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Verse 20, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Get this, verse 21. He became fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. He became fully persuaded. And I don't know about you, but when I get to the end of my life and they're reading the eulogy at my funeral, at the service, or whatever's written on my tombstone, I would love to have that said about me. That above everything else in my life that I made a priority, I became fully persuaded that this Jesus thing is worth giving everything to and not holding anything back. There's a lot of other things that we can make priorities in our lives. There's a lot of other things that we can spend our time doing. But I think a lot of us are going to reach the end of our lives and we're going to have this startling realization that we were busy with a lot of things that are never going to last. And I know that I've asked you this before, and I'm going to ask you it again today. What are you going to do this week that's going to matter after you're gone? What are you going to do this week that's going to matter for eternity so that when people are writing your eulogy, they could say something like, they were fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised, and they took him up on that promise. I'm living for a legacy I'm not just living for today. I'm living for things that are going to build God's kingdom, not my own. That's my prayer. I don't want my eulogy to read, well, God called and John had other things going on. 
God called and John, well, he sat through a few more inspiring church services. Well, God called and John assumed that somebody else would do something. God called and John was too busy. I don't want that said about me. And I have a feeling that you don't either. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize I missed it. The, the, the opportunity that we have to join in God's mission every day. This isn't just for missionaries, it's for you. God is calling us for you to be on the move, whatever your current circumstances are. All of us have a, a here in our lives, our, our current circumstances of where we are and who we are. Also, also, all of us have a there. We have a here and we have a there. Just like Abraham, it was Haran to Canaan, to the promised land. You have a here and you have a there in your life. You have the man or woman of God that he's wanting you to become. God has called you to step up and serve, to step up and lead, to step up and join a group to step up and get serious about following him, not wishy-washy about it. It's a here to there. And the question is, how are you going to get from here to there? What is your there today? Is it finally finding healing from the pain of the past? Is it stepping up and leading? Is it becoming who God's been calling you to be? Maybe it's stopping ignoring your neighbor's and developing a relationship with them in order to simply love them with the love of God. As Christians, our primary identity is sent ones. And so the question that you and I are constantly asking is, God, where are you sending me? How are you calling me from where I am, from my here, to where you're calling me to go, to my there? And what does it mean for me to reorient the priorities and the rhythm of my life so I can get from where I am to where you're calling me? That's really what it comes down to. And I want to give you a picture of that. I want to tell you the story of up on the, the screens here in a second of a gal named Hannah. She's a regular mom, and she lives in Tacoma, Washington. And pretty soon, she's going to have six kids. And you thought you were busy. But she's on mission. She's a mom on Mission. And as you watch this, I don't want you to just think about, oh, she's a mom, and I'm not a mom. I want you to think, what does it look like for me to live on mission every day? Let's take a look. My name is Hannah Moore, and my husband and I live here in Tacoma. We lived here for six years, and we have four children, a son who's 10, and girls who are 8, 5, and 4, and we are in the process of adopting through foster care one or two more little ones. So. I'm a mom that knows what it's like to be busy, um, and so we lead a missional community in the South End that is primarily focused on single moms. We, we live in an area of town that is really diverse racially and economically, tons of single parent homes and kids who have been raised by one parent, and so that's kind of our mission focus. One of the things that God has been teaching me the past few years um, is what it means to be fully engaged in motherhood and fully engaged in mission at the same time. It's an area I feel like I've grown a ton in and learned and have a lot of passion for. I feel like in the last few years I have been overwhelmed and surprised by the joy that's happened in my heart as I've seen people come to faith or come closer to Jesus. Yesterday my husband and I, we got to baptize um, our neighbor and friend and um, I never imagined she would come to know Jesus. She moved in a year and a half ago and 
Um, her son ended up dying in a car accident, who was my son's age. And miraculous story, and she came to know Jesus. And if someone asked me, like, what has been the highlight of your year, of your entire life this last year, my husband and I would both say, it's Alicia. She came to know Jesus. There's been a crazy amount of joy in that whole process for us and for, um, for our kids. It's I think any advice that I would have just from my own experience, if you're a mom that wants to love people well in your life that don't know the Lord yet, would be to be super prayerful about your time and just ask the Spirit to help you be intentional in how you use your time and continually pray about it because life changes and our seasons change and keep praying like, hey, who is it now? Who are the people now that you want me to love um, and pursue and engage? Just pray a lot. And the other thing I would say is there have been times where I have felt just pretty cold towards people and maybe numb about them even needing the gospel. And when I've sensed that in my heart, I've started to pray, pray that God would break my heart for those that don't know Him. Because to be without God is to be without hope. And that's an awful place to be. And when I've prayed that prayer, He has really done that. He has broken my heart. God, would you break our hearts for the things that break yours. And that has been our prayer as a church, and that, I pray, continues to be our prayer as individuals. For Abraham, his life needed a radical reorientation in order to join God's mission. Hannah is learning to reorient her life in order to be a mom on mission. And what I love about that so much is Hannah is normal. <laughs> She's not a Bible hero. She's an ordinary person like you or I. Because we need missional moms. Just like we need missional dads. And we need missional teachers. And we need missional engineers. And we need missional designers. And we need missional computer geeks. And we need missional Accountants, You get the picture? We need you. We need you. Where is God calling you this week? You can do this. I wasn't uh, planning on sharing this with you, but it just, I guess it just came to me. I'm really bad at this. And you might think, wow, Pastor John, he's probably out evangelizing every day. I dread it. I, I'm a raging introvert. And I don't really like being with large groups of people. Some of you are like, chose the wrong career, Buster, right? Uh, I dread it. And I preach about this stuff all day long, and I tell you, you need to go do this. And then I come home, and I have this loving, compassionate wife that kind of doubles as my junior Holy Spirit bringing good conviction and she says John how about you are you doing that and I'm like I like kind of like to do it when it's convenient for my schedule and God knows that and so he says if you're not going to go on mission John if you're just going to preach about it I'm going to bring the mission to you and so a couple months ago I'm home on a Monday on my day off and our pest control guy comes over spraying around for bugs and my pest control guy, Phil, comes over 
And we're just walking around. It's one of the first couple times I'm kind of showing him around the house and he's spraying for bugs and things like that. And we start talking and we start getting to know each other and we go down the stairs and he notices a story Bible. Some of you remember when we went through the story as a church and our story Bible sitting out on the kitchen counter and he goes, oh, do you, are you, you guys reading that? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, my wife's got one of those. And I go, oh, she goes to church? And he's like, yeah. And he said, do you guys go to, go to church? I said, yeah, from time to time. Uh, we do. And, and he says, yeah, my wife goes to this uh, church out in West Moines. It's called Lutheran Church of Hope. You guys heard of it? And I'm like, oh, geez, God, here we go. I said, yeah, I've heard of it. Um, I'm not lying yet. I'm just kind of, he's like, he's like, you guys, you guys heard of Hope? And I'm like, yeah, I've heard of it. And um, he goes, you work there. And I go, yeah, I guess you could say that. I, I work there, and okay, he finds out I'm a pastor, yada, yada, yada. We start walking down the stairs, and I said, Phil, you know, do you, uh, do, you have, do you go to church on a regular basis? And he said, I used to until a year ago. Uh, he's walking down with this spray can. <laughs> Turns around, he goes, uh, last year, my dad lost his battle with cancer, and uh, three months after that, my eight-year-old son died. And I'm like, okay, God, game on. Here we go. And on the steps, going down to my basement with Phil, the pest control guy, on my day off, he looks up at me with, he starts to get a little teary-eyed. And I just felt like God was leading me to share this. And it has nothing to do with what I learned at seminary. It has nothing to do with being a pastor. It has everything to do with the fact that I'm a father and so I'm like listening to his story and I just look at him and I don't know where this came from and I just said, Phil, why do you find it so hard to be a part of a church? He said, because I have a hard time believing in a God that would do something like that. And in that moment, I could have shut down and I just said, okay, God, here we go. And the words that came out of my mouth were, Phil, do you know that you have a father in heaven that has never and will never give up on you. And whether you believe in him or not, he believes in you. And he is the resurrection and the life. And it doesn't matter how far away from him you feel, he's got you. And he's never going to let you go. And he said, thank you, I needed that. And we sprayed some more bugs. And then he left, we exchanged information. I'm still working on him, still trying to get him here. And I shut the door and he left that first time and I walked back in and I said, said to myself, did I just pray for my pest control guy in my basement? I think I did. And God said, yeah, you did, John. And it was awesome. And then it hit me. Sometimes this whole being on the move and being on mission for God thing isn't about going somewhere else. It's about being fully available of what God is doing right here, right now, every day around you. So today I want to leave you with two questions. If you've got your bulletins, maybe flip it over and write these. Do I want, I want you to take these with you this week. Number one, are you listening? God is calling out just like he did to Abraham. And the question is, are you listening? 
And number two, what rhythms, what priorities in your life need to change so that you can move from here to there? so that you can step into what God is calling you to do today, to step up and lead a small group, to step up and start to serve, to step up and serve at the shelter meal tomorrow night, to step up and help with one of our project work days the next couple Saturdays down at the building, to step up and, and, and let go of your past so that you can move into the future. What is God calling you to do today? What needs to be reoriented in your life? God's on the move. Will you join him? What I'd love to do is just to invite you to stand. And we're not just going to talk about this. We're going to respond today. And so the band's going to lead us in a song called Closer. And as we close in worship today, I would just invite you, make this your prayer. Make this your prayer. Because there's people like Phil all over our city that need the love of Jesus in their life. There's those of us that are here today that are crying out, God, I want to be closer to you. I want to draw near to you. And that's the prayer, that's the hope of this song. So as the band leads us, make this your prayer. God, draw near to us. We want to be closer to you. Let's worship.